I'm Chris Reback. And I'm Tegan Goddard. You're listening to the free version of Trial Balloon. Visit trialballoon.fm to get new episodes every week and more. Second best day of the year on Sunday, Tegan. Jeez, I'm trying to figure that out, Chris. What is it? Daylight savings time, my man. <laughs> we lose an hour of sleep. I'm a little bit angry about that. I'm always angry about losing sleep. But the extra sunlight, love it. Yeah, it's pretty great. Now, another bill has been put forward to make it daylight savings time all year round. You for or against? You know, I have to say, I don't take a firm position on that. I have gone each way. I think it depends on the season. It depends how I'm feeling. And it depends if I like that light later in the day. You haven't changed your position on offshore drilling, right? <laughs> I think that joke might go over some of our listeners' heads, Chris. Yeah, I know. But uh, that was it. That was an old oil joke with, who was the senator? Senator from- uh... was Senator Hal Heflin looking at a picture of Senator Ted hey, Kennedy. Yes. Boat. That was a funny joke back in the day. What is not a joke is the trial balloon mailbag. It's been filling up. We would like it to fill up even more. So if you want to send your questions for the mailbag, here's how. If you're listening via Political Wire, you know how to contact Tegan via the website or reply to one of his new Politics Extra Substack newsletters. If you're listening to this via Chris Reback's newsletter, email me with any questions by simply replying to any day's newsletter. Tegan, let's get on with the business at hand. This week, you wrote in Political Wire, is a bipartisan unity ticket coming together. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan issued a statement widely interpreted as saying he's, quote, not running for president. However, his statement actually said he's not running for the Republican nomination. That's potentially a big difference. Hogan had long been floated by the advocacy group No Labels as a possible independent candidate for president. A political wire reader tells me one of Hogan's top aides has actively looked into the possibility. Increasingly, Senator Joe Manchin refused to rule out a presidential bid himself. It's unlikely that Manchin would challenge President Biden, but an independent bid might make sense for him as well. A Manchin-Hogan pairing would certainly satisfy the No Labels push for a bipartisan unity ticket. So, Tegan, I've been following politics long enough not only to remember Howell Heflin's joke, but also long enough to remember President Ross Perot, who ran an excellent campaign against Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush in 92. I also remember President Ralph Nader in 2000. Thanks to his election, we avoided a potential hanging Chad problem in Florida that very likely would have sent the whole election to the Supreme Court to decide a winner. Can you imagine what a disaster things would be today if that had occurred? So with Perot and Nader in our rearview mirror, Tegan, would you educate me? How would a unity ticket work in 2024? All right. So it's true, Chris, that an independent candidate is kind of like this dream of political junkies. It's a little bit like the brokered convention that we talk about every four years, but never happens. It's a little bit like that electoral college tie, 269 to 269. And what happens then? It does seem like the idea of an independent candidate is really just one of these things we talk about every four years, but it never comes together. The difference in this is that there is this group out there, No Labels, which has, you know, they're not exactly exactly the most well-run group in the world. There's some strange characters who are part of it. But Larry Hogan was one of the co-chairs of the group. And as I said in my piece this week, 
a Political Wire reader informed me, that's now been confirmed by yet another reader who says that one of Hogan's top aides has actually actively talked to No Labels about the possibility of running. But I found it fairly interesting, just the wording of Hogan's statement last weekend. And in subsequent interviews this week, he has refused to rule out the idea of a third party run. While it's not likely, and certainly while a third party candidate is not likely to win, it is important to take a look at because it could act as a spoiler. And just this week, we also learned that No Labels has actually qualified for the ballot in Arizona. I don't know about you, Chris, but if there is another independent candidacy in Arizona during this presidential election, if you can tell me which way that election is going to go, I'll give you a dollar, Chris. But I don't know which ways it's going to go. I think that's a pretty remarkable development. Just having that spot in Arizona, even if it's only one state, could potentially swing this entire election. So your initial comment about how uh, this type of thing is like the pipe dream of politics watchers every four years, the funniest comment on Political Wire to your post was from N. Moshe, who put up a gif of actor Jerry Orbach from Law and Order. It's this gif of him devilishly rubbing his hands together. And uh, the person wrote under it, Tagen, before posting this here. (laughs) Everyone's on to you, my man. There is a requirement if you run a site about politics that you engage in these topics. But nonetheless, this is not an unserious situation because there's a lot of money behind this group. And if somebody is going to run an independent candidacy, that person might look like Larry Hogan. You know, and the idea that Joe Manchin won't rule out a presidential bid himself and is facing a rather tough reelection bid potentially if he decides to run in West Virginia, the idea of a Hogan Manchin, Manchin Hogan ticket, that's something that I think would put the fear in the Democratic side more likely, particularly if Trump is the nominee on the Republican side. But we'll see how this plays out. And it is true. You are not the only political chunky writing about it or thinking about it. Politico had a piece. And here's the challenge and some of the pushback on the Democratic side. The headline was Dems fret about a no labels spoiler ticket. A new two-page memo from Third Way obtained by Playbook, Politico Playbook, takes aim at the potential unity ticket being promoted by the centrist group No Labels. With tens of millions of dollars of financial backing, No Labels stated intention is to nominate a moderate alternative to potential extreme majority party nominees as a, quote, insurance policy. But Third Way argues in a memo that a third-party ticket would mainly peel off Democrats, ultimately boosting the former president who tried to steal an election and incited a riot on the Capitol. I think they're talking about Trump there. Was there more than one president who tried to steal an election and incited? Or... It's got to be Trump. It's got to be Peter <laughs> I think that's a good safe bet, Chris. Third Way's memo is aimed at surfacing those worries. It follows a CNN op-ed last week from veteran strategist Paul Begala, who cited a previous third way analysis in claiming, quote, the vast majority of votes that a no labels presidential candidate would receive would likely come out of President Joe Biden's pool of potential voters, not former President Donald Trump's. So while folks like you and me and some of our listeners like thinking about a no labels candidate, a third party candidate, and to be fair, there are non-political junkies who also would like it, who are tired of the two parties and are tired of what they view in their opinions as extreme policies on both sides. We can have that debate another time and would like that middle ground or middle-ish ground. But are people like you who keep advancing this idea and groups like No Labels, are you hurting Democrats more than you're hurting Republicans? 
I'm just reporting on the possibility of that this could happen. And I do think it would. I agree with the analysis by the third way that this would probably hurt Democrats if it were to happen. I think if you look at someone like Senator Joe Manchin, he has certainly not been unwilling to hurt President Biden in the way that he handles himself politically. Perhaps he's doing it, though, simply to position himself more as a centrist because he needs to run for re-election in ruby red West Virginia. As for Larry Hogan, while I have heard from multiple readers that it is true that his top aides have actually discussed the possibility of a third party run, I actually don't think Larry Hogan would do anything to allow Donald Trump to become president of the United States again. So if Donald Trump were the Republican nominee, I do not think he would take part. And some of his comments have suggested that as well. Nonetheless, he won't rule out a third party bid at this point, even though he has ruled out seeking the Republican nomination. And is no labels the avenue for this? They can't be the only avenue. At the same time, they've got tens of millions of dollars, a lot of money, a lot of following. Is there anything that we ought to know about no labels? Well, the biggest advantage that a group like No Labels has is really just doing the dirty work and getting the slot on the ticket in each of the 50 states. You'll remember, you know, Howard Schultz four years ago weighed a presidential run as an yes, independent. Yes, President Schultz, he's done a great job. <laughs> President Schultz. Well, it turns out that even after spending many millions of dollars, Schultz could not get that work done. It became too big an obstacle. And so what No Labels is attempting to do is they're saying, look, we don't know who the candidate's going to be, but we think there should be a third choice. They're at least attempting, and they have succeeded so far in Arizona at getting that slot for some unknown candidate. It doesn't mean that there will be somebody populating that slot, but at this point, they're at least doing that. So they do play that role. But as Howard Schultz found, as you mentioned, as Ralph Nader found, as Ross Perot and every other independent candidate has found, our system is really weighted against a third party candidate winning. But as we did see in the situation of both Nader and Perot, a third party candidate can swing the election potentially to one candidate or another. I know that back in 1992, when Ross Perot first ran, that the Bush team really did feel that Perot stole the election from them and handed it to Bill Clinton. And I am sure Al Gore thinks the same about Ralph Nader back in 2000. Yes, and they very well could be right. And do you know, Tegan, who recently lost a race but is not claiming that it was stolen? I think that's Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Chris. That would be Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. There was 11 different candidates, 13 different candidates, nine, a bunch of them ran in the first round. The incumbent mayor did not make it to the runoff. That's between Paul Vallis, who everyone runs in Chicago as a Democrat, but Paul Vallis is more on the right side of the conservative right wing side. I'm not saying he's a right winger, but he's more on that side of the political spectrum, running a very strong anti-crime campaign. He's running against Brandon Johnson, who is representing more of a progressive left-wing side. I think he even falls to the left of Lori Lightfoot, and that runoff is just in a couple of weeks. Now, the person who is commenting on the Chicago mayor race and the aspect of this race that makes it relevant beyond Chicago is New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who says that Lori Lightfoot's loss in Chicago is a warning sign for the country. CNN reported that New York City Mayor Eric Adams brushed aside the suggestion that Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's re-election loss was merely a warning sign for Democratic mayors instead calling it a, quote, warning sign for the country at large. Eric Adams said, quote, I showed up at crime scenes. I knew what New Yorkers were saying. 
and I saw it all over the country. I think, if anything, it is really stating that this is what I've been talking about. America, we have to be safe. Lightfoot lost her re-election bid last week, failing to make one of the two runoff spots, as we said. Chicago is now the third major city in recent years with the mayoral election that has tested attitudes among a heavily Democratic electorate towards crime and policing. Adams was asked about criticism from some Democrats who say his rhetoric on crime hurts the party and helps Republicans. Adams said, quote, the polls were clear, New Yorkers felt unsafe, and the numbers showed that they were unsafe. Now, if we want to ignore what the everyday public is stating, then that's up to them. I'm on the subways. I walk the streets. I speak to everyday working class people, and they are concerned about safety. Tegan, is Eric Adams right? Are deep blue Democratic mayors and cities, and in fact, the country in trouble? Do candidates need to focus more on crime? I think it's issue number one. I mean, as someone who lives right outside New York City, it is the biggest issue. It's the biggest issue in the city. It's the biggest issue outside of the city and the suburbs. And I think that when Lori Lightfoot, the incumbent mayor in Chicago, has 80% of the electorate vote against her in ousting her, it's hard not to argue that crime wasn't a big issue there, particularly since the front runner in that race made crime his number one issue. What you can also see is take a look in Washington, D.C. If you want to know if it's a national issue, Look at what the politicians are doing in Washington, D.C. President Biden snubbed his own party in saying that he would sign a D.C. crime bill being pushed by Republicans to overturn what the D.C. city council was trying to do there. That's a really interesting situation because it suggests that President Biden, who's also on the ballot in 2024, realizes that crime is a big issue. It's a big issue nationally, big issue for Democrats. And so that move was a little bit of triangulation, to use your old friend Dick Morris's line, moving to the center and kind of above the two parties on that issue of crime. It was a very interesting move by Biden, but it's probably more indicative that this is a national issue than even Lori Lightfoot's loss in Chicago or what Eric Adams says. I had the under on the Dick Morris, Howell Heflin dual comments and references <laughs> in this podcast. I, I <laughs> well, you know, we say what we know, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see either one of those coming. I completely agree on the national aspect of this issue. And it's a terrible cliche to get political insights from taxi drivers or Uber drivers, but I got one. Just before the election in Chicago, I was in Chicago for just a day, took the Uber out to the airport. I asked the Uber driver, Eugene, what's going to happen in the election on Tuesday? Eugene said, I don't know, but I just can't vote for Lori Lightfoot. That surprised me. And I said, why? And he said, Lori Lightfoot is a neighbor of mine. I voted for her four years ago. I wanted her to do so well, and I just can't support her again. Crime is out of control. Cars getting stolen right and left. He talked about how dangerous the city had become. He loved Lori Lightfoot. He emphasized how, you know, she lives like a block or two from him. There was such support in that neighborhood. And he said, We need a new plan. We need someone new. And he said, I can't vote for her this go around. If you're losing someone like Eugene, who was a Lori Lightfoot supporter, lives in her neighborhood, and obviously there's pride involved in that. If you've lost Eugene, you've probably lost Chicago, and in fact, she had. Yeah, I mean, whether it's Eugene or whether it's just talking to people around New York, crime is a little bit like inflation. It kind of impacts and it worries every single voter. 
it's the type of issue that can sneak up on you. And before you know it, it's the thing that most people are worrying about. And it's true here in New York. Virtually everybody has a story of increased crime over the course of the last six to 12 months here in New York. Chicago, at least by the statistics, seems even worse than New York. And it's true in most of the big cities right now. So it won't always be true, but it's something that politicians are going to need to pay attention to or they'll get outmaneuvered by their opponents. It's a really interesting point. It is like inflation in that the stories around it, the sense that one gets about it, not necessarily from personal experience, but just the vibe around it can be really, really influential. I mean, you hear that all the time about inflation, that people don't necessarily feel it themselves. Obviously, many, many do. But that inflation is this type of thing where if it gets in the psyche, it can really take over habits and the way people act, even if they're not feeling it personally. And I think crime can be the same way. And I think that the comparison to inflation is a really good one. Also, the point that you just made about the statistics versus the story, and I want to ask you about this, but in researching for this discussion, I came across a Harvard Kennedy School paper that was presented at the American Politics and Public Policy Workshop about two months ago. And the paper is titled, Democratic mayors have no effect on crime, but do reduce the black share of arrests for petty crimes. And the abstract reads, we examine whether mayors' partisan affiliations lead to differences in crime rates, arrest rates, and the racial composition of arrests. We employ a regression discontinuity design centered around close mayoral elections. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what a regression discontinuity design is centered around close mayoral elections to determine the causal effect of electing a Democratic rather than Republican mayor on policing and crime outcomes in medium and large U.S. cities. I'm surprised this study hasn't gotten more press. The conclusion, mayoral partisanship does not affect overall crime rates, arrests, or police employment and expenditures. However, it does influence the racial distribution of arrests. The election of a Democratic mayor decreases the black share of arrests by a modest amount. This effect is driven by decreases in arrests of black individuals for both, quote, drug crimes and, quote, other crimes. This may be tied to police staffing choices, as electing a Democratic mayor also affects police officer demographics. Electing a Democratic mayor increases the black share of police officers. These results reaffirm the importance of politics in policing. That's a whole topic. Maybe we'll address that at some point, politics in policing. But this does make me think about what you just said about statistics versus story. And my question is, does this influence you at all? Or are the politics the same? Democratic mayors need to reduce the crime rates. I think that's absolutely true. I think Democratic mayors do need to decrease crime rates, particularly when it's a big issue. And I think that what we saw in D.C. this week with President Biden's kind of snubbing his own party and pre-announcing a move suggests that it's not just the cities, it's the suburbs as well. Those suburbs are critical to Joe Biden's reelection. And so he is trying to position himself much more towards the center on the American political spectrum when it comes to crime, because he knows it's a big issue. So that's as big a move we saw this week as hearing Eric Adams' comments about Lori Lightfoot. That is an interesting study. We'll leave a link to that in the show notes for those who will be interested. But I don't want readers to be misled by you, Chris, because when we were graduate students at the Kennedy School, it was me helping you with regression analysis. I just want the listeners to know that. I think that you helped in digression analysis. 
I don't think you know anything about regression, but you're really, really strong on digression, which is where we're going to end this. Shout out to Eugene. Let me tell you, man, if you're in Chicago, he was the best Uber driver ever. It was such a wonderful conversation. As Eugene goes, so goes the nation, Chris. So goes the nation. Bye to Eugene and bye to you, Tegan. Talk to you later, Chris. 